Alrighty, if we could make our way back to our seats. We've been uh, taking a break from our original series. I love manuscripts because I could just read right off of it. We've been taking a break from our uh, our regular series, Seeing Christ in All of Scripture, and we've been focusing on uh, three themes that we uphold here at Christ Community. The first was uh, exalting Christ. The second was proclaiming Christ. And today we're going to hear about enjoying Christ. And I have the distinct honor and privilege of introducing to you a young man who walks with Jesus. Not only does he walk with Jesus relationally, but literally six days a week, he gets to walk with Jesus while he's delivering mail in the city of Reading, city of Reading. And one thing that I, I love about his time that he has while he's delivering mail, Jason White is a prayer warrior. He's praying while he's delivering mail. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for Christ's community. He's praying for the city of Reading. He's praying for his family. This is a man who loves to pray and he loves Jesus. And it is an honor. And I want you to welcome with me our brother, Jason White, who's going to be preaching, enjoying Jesus Christ today. Well, good morning. As uh, Pastor John was saying, we're going to be talking about enjoying Jesus, which we already are enjoying Jesus together. Amen, church. Uh, well, today's message was actually birthed uh, earlier this uh, year with uh, the men's Bible study. And we were studying the book of Galatians. And uh, so through that time, CB approached me and he asked about freedom in Christ, enjoying Jesus, and how that connects. And I told him that about how our freedom in Christ create our enjoying Jesus together. Uh, so we're going to be talk, talking about Galatians 4. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open to Galatians chapter 4. If you're unfamiliar with where the book of Galatians is, it is the ninth book in the New Testament, which is we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the book of Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, then comes the book of Galatians. So let's go ahead and dive right into the book of Galatians. Galatians 4, 1 through 7 says this. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Well, I once heard it said of a man on his deathbed. Uh, his family were close near, his friends were close near, and his pastor was right by his side. And as he was uh, leading up to his last breath, he asked his pastor, Oh dear pastor, tell me that old, old story of how my Savior died for me one more time. Well, I don't know if this is your first time hearing the gospel or if it's your hundredth or your five hundredth time or maybe it might be your last time. We're going to be looking at Jesus and his gospel. Let's go to our Father and ask him to lead us uh, as we listen to him. Abba, Father. 
Lord, here we are. We are eternally grateful for all that you are and all that you have done for us. Lord, I ask, as I've been asking all week, that you would change our hearts to love you more, to enjoy you more, Father. This is a condition of our hearts that we cannot change, but only you, as you say in your word, in your precious book of Hebrews. The word of God is sharper than any two double-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and marrow and joints. Lord, your word and the power of your Holy Spirit can only do this, for we cannot change ourselves. Only you can, Father. Use me. Use the weakness of I am as a man. Lord, I am only a messenger. Lord, as I deliver the mail day after day, Lord, I deliver your gospel of first importance. Help me to be faithful to the text that we're about to look into, Lord. Protect me, guard me from error. And Lord, would you separate the light from the darkness in our own souls, Lord. Lord, I pray that if there's any sin in our own hearts, that you would take the word of God and cut its head off, Lord. For this word is powerful. And Lord, what we're about to talk about are heavy truths, Lord. Truths that can save us and bring us to heaven safely, Lord. So I pray for us as a church, as a local church. I pray for anyone that here does not know you, that do not enjoy you, Lord. That their emotions, that their affections will be heightened to love you more, treasure you more, and live for your glory in all things. So we ask and we pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, the book of Galatians, I just want to kind of set the stage, if you would. Um, Upon arriving back in Antioch, his first missionary journey, we're talking about Paul. The Apostle Paul was saved by God. He saw a light on the road to Damascus. This is the Paul we're talking about. The Paul that was on his way to actually murder the Christians, and God saved him. And now Paul is on a new journey. And so this is his uh, first missionary journey. And just like we are a local church, a body of believers, the church of Galatia was also a a body of believers that God has saved. And what was happening was Paul was preaching and proclaiming the gospel of grace to them. And the Galatians received the gospel of grace with glad hearts. They were very grateful that they were saved and adopted into the family of God. Shortly after Paul left... Teachers came. False teachers came. They were called Judaizers. Judaizers, And they were um, starting to put seeds into the word of these believers that the gospel grace wasn't good enough. They started to add these laws, the Mosaic law, that you had to be more than just saved by grace in Christ. Uh, they, they started to put weight on these these truths that weren't truths at all. Paul wrote this letter a few months before his attendance at the Jerusalem Council in AD 49, a meeting where the apostles would talk about this very thing. So what was really going on, you may ask? Well, the Galatians were turning from the enjoyment of Jesus that they first received to a yoke of slavery again that they were already set free from. So during this time, a question arises as we're talking about enjoying Jesus and what does that look like? So we ask the question, what does it mean to enjoy Jesus? I'm glad you asked. The answer is this, to, and this is very important, to enjoy Jesus is to be filled with a heart that overflows with gladness for all that he is And all that he has done for us. Jonathan Edwards, a pastor theologian from the Great Awakening, once said, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. 
The enjoyment of Him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here, better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Jonathan Edwards. So we run into our first truth. Truth number one. Mankind cannot enjoy Jesus. And as we're looking at these truths, there are certain words that stood out. The first word is slavery. So we're going to be talking about mankind cannot enjoy Jesus. Slavery. Slavery. The Israelites, as you may know, were slaves in the land of Egypt for 430 years. They were in bondage to the reign and rule of Pharaoh. There was no hope for them to get out on their own account, for they were bound to their condition of slavery. Starting in verse 1 of Galatians 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. What does that mean? Uh, Believe it or not, times were different back then. Uh, Slavery was more of a part of life. So what is Paul explaining here? Well, Paul gives us a portrait of a young boy in a wealthy ancient household with a young boy who is destined to inherit all that his father has. When the boy is just a child, he has less freedom than actually a high-ranking slave in the home. Yet, the child is destined to inherit everything. He has to go about a period and a season until he reaches the age Sometimes it was 12, 16 when he came of age to inherit all that his father had. He was the future master of the estate. Well, even in the best of homes, sons who are loved by their father and destined to be heirs of his estate go through a period of supervision. That's where we're going to talk about uh, guardians and managers just a little later. Uh It is entirely appropriate for child heirs to be subject to the care of guardians. Obedience to their guardians, which guardians were were slaves over them. Obedience to their guardians is evidence of their love for their father. But it would be inappropriate for sons to be kept under supervision of guardians once they had reached the age of maturity. So once they come of age, once they come of that age, and it was different for each culture... uh, then it would be inappropriate for them to continue to be that childlike condition of slavery. And it is not a mark of disloyalty for sons to eagerly anticipate the day set by their fathers. So the child was excited to finally be of age when that that date came where they would inherit all things, especially if their father had a lot. Um, So we we have this wording, uh, guardians and managers. What does that mean? Guardians were slaves entrusted with the care of underage boys. So the guardians were those that were entrusted with the care of the underage boys. And the managers were those who managed the property and everything, the estate that the father had that would later be inherited to the the child when he would become of age. So the child is under the authority until he was, until it was set by his father. This is very important. So let's look at verse, going down to the next verse. Verse three. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So Paul describes both Jewish and Gentile religions of just the human. They're never rising to the top. There's never salvation in these human institutions of divine. So the, all such elements are immature, like behaviors of children under bondage to a guardian. So Paul is painting a picture, a picture of what 
the Galatians were going through and ultimately what we're going through. Paul says that the law is earthly. It may restrain evil, but it does not deliver us from sin. The law does not justify. Justify is a big word that means it does not remove the guilt and the penalty of sin. It does not save the person. So the law was put in place to point us to something greater. So we don't inherit eternal life because we do not steal. So there were the law, the Ten Commandments we're familiar with. Uh, none of those Ten Commandments, they don't save us if we obey those Ten Commandments. We don't in- inherit eternal life because, kids, because you do not disobey your parents. You might be a really good kid, but you cannot inherit eternal life just because you obey your parents. So, to, to give you an illustration that might help to kind of paint the picture even better... Say there was a man that he had a bad heart and he knew that he had a bad heart and he knew that he was going to die if his heart wasn't replaced. So he went to the doctor and he said, Doctor, what do I need to do to have, to continue to live, to continue to move on with my life? And the doctor looked at the man and said, you have a bad heart. The only way that you're going to live is if we give you a new heart. And the only way that the heart has to be perfect, the heart has to be the perfect blood type to fit your life. For you to continue to go on living. Well, this is the same thing with the law. The law pictures the diagnosis that the doctor gives. But it doesn't give us hope. If we don't have a new heart, Jesus gives us the new heart for us to live and to have hope. And there is no hope except for that man to have a new heart. As the book of Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. So man cannot inherit eternal life in the state of slavery. There is no hope. The law might come to point us to Jesus But the law does not save a person. So when Paul says in verse 3 that when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world, he is emphasizing how even Jews, even Jews, God's chosen people, were in bondage to the universal condition of slavery. They weren't exempt from this condition of slavery. In this common condition of helplessness, all are alike. We all are sinners. We all are in need of a Savior. As Romans 8, 3, 9 through 12 says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Under law, both a child and a slave had no freedom whatsoever. And before Christ came, we were all children of the devil, which is Satan. We had no hope. We were enslaved to the basic principles of this world. We were born and destined to hell. Without Christ, there is no enjoying Jesus because there is no freedom from our slavery. Slavery keeps us from having a heart that overflows with gladness for all that he is and all that he has done for us. Truth too. There's hope. Enjoying Jesus is made possible. This word, redeemed, is the word we're going to focus on. So truth too, enjoying Jesus is made possible. Verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. 
Have you ever waited for something and anticipated something to come? I know for me, it was my wedding day, the day that I proposed to my beautiful wife, Julie. I was anticipating and excited for that day to come. It felt like forever. But the day finally did come, and there was a wedding, and we got married. Maybe for you, it was graduation, and maybe it was a long-waited vacation. Maybe it's something that you knew the date was set, and you just had to wait, and it felt like forever. Well, in the Bible, all the prophets, all the law was pointing to Christ. We knew that Christ is going to come. It was just a matter of time. And that's our only hope. Finally, the time had come. So we're pointing back to this picture as we're talking about. Finally, the child was of age where he was able to receive his inheritance Finally, child, you were waiting for a long time. Well, there's good news. The time does come. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Praise God. Without this good news, there is no hope. These are wonderful words, church. Apart from these life-giving words, there is no hope for man. Man is separated and no hope apart from these words. Jesus was born of woman. These words express Jesus' humanity. Jesus had to be fully man and fully God for us to have salvation. Little children, bigger children, adults, older adults. This is what Christmas is all about. And Christmas is closely approaching us. Christmas is not about just the gifts. It points to something greater, children. It points to Jesus and his humanity. He was a baby. You know, this morning I was changing Scarlett's diaper. And uh, I was just thinking that Jesus had his diaper changed. He pooped. He peed. He threw up. He was fully human. You can't get any more human than that. And he lived a life perfect life. He never sinned. He never even entertained the idea of sinning. It never even crossed his mind. Yet he was tempted in every way. Jesus' life was a life of Deuteronomy 6, 4, 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. For us, there has never been a time where we have loved the Lord our God with our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. But for Jesus, there was never a time in his life where he did not love the Lord, his God, the Father, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. What a God, what a Savior. Jesus was born under the law. By the law, Paul means that the do's and don'ts of the moral and silver silver behavior. 613 total laws in the book of the Old Testament. The Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law. Jesus worshipped the Lord his God with all the breaths in him alone. Jesus never made a false idol. Jesus worked under the same sun that he created, and he sweat. And with his father, his earthly father, he worked as a stonemaker. Some say as a carpenter, but back then in Israel, it was more of working with stones. Uh, So there was a lot of heavy lifting going on, and a lot of hard work for you men that work out there under the sun, such as myself. It is very difficult. To love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's so many times where we, just this past week, I had an overwhelming sense of just, I'm done, I'm tired, this is so hard. Jesus, when he came home, when he was tempted to take the Lord his, God's name in vain, he never did that. He always loved his Father. He always pleased God. Jesus always kept the Sabbath. There is never a day where he did not keep 
the Lord's day, even when there was so much work to be done, he kept the Sabbath. As a boy, growing up, listen children, he honored his parents. He never rolled his eyes at his mother or father. He never said anything under his breath. He always, as a child growing up, he honored them completely and fully. And Jesus never murdered anyone. Not only physically he did not murder anyone, but as Jesus says later in the Gospels, if you commit murder, if you hate your brother in your heart, you have already committed murder. He has always loved his brothers and sisters. He has never hated anyone. Jesus never committed adultery. Jesus never had a lustful thought. There would have been days after after school or days after work where he was walking home on the streets of Nazareth. And there would have been a woman, woman walked there and he would have seen them. Well, Jesus had such compassion and a heart for women. He never had a lustful thought. His mind was completely honoring to God. And Jesus never stole. As Jesus grew up in a home, he was very poor. His family was very poor. There were times where he was tempted to steal bread. There were times where he went home where he was hungry. There would have been times where he was tempted to steal, but Jesus never steal. Even a crumb. He never steal. He trusted his father to provide, his heavenly father to provide all his needs. Jesus was always truthful and loved his neighbors. Never speaking lies to them. Always honoring them in every single way. Jesus was fully an honest man. And Jesus never coveted but was always content with what the Godfather, his father, has given him to live as a man. Although Jesus did fulfill all the requirements of law, he still experienced the conditions of the sinful humanity under the curse of the law. He was subject to temptations just like us, suffering, loneliness, and finally, he died on the cross alone. A Hebrew says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Oh, brothers and sisters, listen to this. Listen to this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Pastor theologian from the Reformation, as we just celebrated uh, 500 years of the Reformation, John Calvin said this, By putting the chains on himself, he takes them off the other. By taking the obligation and curse of the law upon himself, he sets us free from both the obligation and the curse of the law. Verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. The word redemption in the Greek means this. So we're zooming in on the word redeem. A release that has been made possible through the payment of a price or ransom. I read that again. A release that has been made possible through the payment of a price or ransom. Just like the Israelites, God's chosen people, were ransomed. They were redeemed from the land of Egypt, out of their slavery. So we were redeemed out of the slavery of sin from Christ. Galatians 3, verse 13. This is a chapter before. We're in Galatians 4. If you turn back a chapter before, we're going to spend some time on this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This truth conveyed such an outrage in the first century in the Jewish culture because they knew, they knew their Torah and the Torah said, 
Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. For Jesus to be hung on a tree, it did not settle well with the Jews. How could this be? This is almost blasphemy. Deuteronomy 21.23 says that. For he who is hung is accursed by God. So we have this language of curse. What does that mean? The only way we can truly understand that is if we head back to the Old Testament. We, as a church, we've been going through the book of the Bible. All the 66 books. We started a series called Seeing Christ in All of Scripture. And if you're familiar with, there was some, in the book of Numbers, it says, Jesus became the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. The scapegoat driven outside the camp. Leviticus, the bearer of sin and the one upon the full weight of the curse of God fell upon. In Deuteronomy 27, 28, I'll encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn back there. But if not, that's quite all right. Listen. In Deuteronomy 27, 28, God divided the nation of Israel into two separate camps. And he placed one on Mount Gerizim and the other on Mount Ebal. So you have the Israelites in the wilderness during this time, and God moves two of, makes two different camps. Those on Mount Gerizim were to pronounce the blessings. So you have two different mountains. These are two different mountains, and He splits His people into two different camps. And this is what they pronounce. Those on Mount Gerizim were to pronounce the blessings which would come upon all who obeyed the Lord their God. Those on Mount Ebal were to pronounce the curses which would fall upon those who refused such obedience. So there is blessings and cursings. For those that obeyed God, they would be blessed by God. For those that were, for those that disobeyed would be cursed by God. Through Jesus Christ, all of Scripture points to Jesus. This is a picture of what Jesus did for us. Through Jesus Christ, in every right, through Jesus Christ had every right to be on the Mount of Gerizim as the covenant keeper, as he has held and obeyed 613 laws in the Old Testament, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He obeyed every single one, every single commandment he obeyed. He never sinned. He held the law perfectly. He loved Jesus completely. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53.5 says, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. When Jesus Christ raised his eyes on the cross, when Jesus was on the cross, he raised his eyes to find God the Father's favor. He looked for God's face. And for the first time in all eternity... All of history, the Father for the first time looks away at His Son. Because in this moment, when Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was accursed. Jesus became the curse that you and I deserved. The full wrath of God was placed on Christ. Christ was the covenant keeper. He kept every single law. He always obeyed. Always loved the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this Jesus was accursed. For it says, everyone that is hung on a tree is accursed by God. Deuteronomy 28.15 says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, 
then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. These were the curses that fell upon Jesus that was supposed to fall upon us as the covenant breaker. For we were born in the state of slavery. We were never born with a clean slate. We were born with the condition of a bad heart, needing a new heart that only Jesus can give. So I want you to listen as I read some of the curses. Listen, these curses were supposed to fall on you and me, but instead fell on Jesus, the covenant keeper. The Lord will send uh, Deuteronomy 28, 20 through 24. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration, and all that you undertake to do, until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds, because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with a wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat, and with drought, and with blight, and with maldew. They shall pursue you until you perish, and the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven's dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Verse 45. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. Jesus on the cross took upon all these cursings, all of them. There are many in the book. Deuteronomy 28, 29, 27, 28. I would encourage you to read them. But I want you to, to, to stop and think. All the curses, you were supposed to be cursed for all in eternity in hell. And Jesus absorbed all the wrath of God. Every single disobedient sin that we have ever committed from the time that we're born to the time of right now to the time we die. All, he absorbed all the sin and all the cursings. All the cursings that we were supposed to be separated from God for all eternity. God absorbed it. And only Jesus Christ, being fully God and fully man, could take our place. Jesus was the only one. And yet he was the covenant keeper. On the cross, the sin imputed to Christ was exposed before God. Christ was cursed beyond measure. More than any other, any, any other man that walked on the face of the earth. So that we can be most blessed on the face of the earth. Deuteronomy 29.20 says... The Lord will not be willing to forgive him. This is talking about what Christ did for us when it was meant to happen to us. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him. And the Lord, listen to this, and the Lord will blot out his name from under the heavens. This was supposed to happen to you and I. Our name was supposed to be blotted out from under the heavens. If Jesus didn't come, if Jesus didn't come to die and to take our place, to live the sinless life, to be obedient in every guard, when we die, we would spend an eternity of eternities in hell, absorbing all those curses that Jesus absorbed on the cross. As Romans 8, 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You are totally free. There is no condemnation. There is no more wrath upon your head. You are blessed more. If you are in Christ, you are blessed more than any sinner. Because he who became sin, 
He who absorbed all the curses that should have fell on you and I fell on the head of Christ, our beloved Savior, our beloved Lord. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. I want you to hold that truth in. I don't want you to take it lightly. This is our only hope that we hold on to because Jesus redeemed us. We are now free. In the book of Numbers, we find one of the most beautiful blessings that was ever given to humanity. And if you have repented of your sins and trust Jesus as the Lord, the Savior of your life, this blessing is for you, church. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Which brings us to truth number three. Adopted to enjoy Jesus. Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The word Abba is an Aramaic word meaning father, uh, meaning daddy in English. I'm still waiting to hear my uh, precious Scarlet to say those words, uh, to say daddy. But as being adopted, if you were in Christ, you were adopted into his family, which we now cry Abba Father. And just as we were under the elementary principles of this world, we are now adopted into the family of God, where before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 1 talks about, before the foundations of the world, you were chosen in Christ Jesus. God, if you're here today and you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord, the day has come for you. You are now adopted. You now receive full inheritance of King Jesus and all that he owns and all that he is. God sent his son to redeem those who are under the law's bondage and to provide the ransom by which God is able to adopt them as sons. It is through Christ that men and women have adoption. That is, we move not only from bondage into freedom, we also move into the great household of God where all are free men and women and all are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. This is great news of joy, my brothers and sisters, to enjoy Him. This is the only way possible that we can enjoy Jesus because He became cursed more than any other man or woman on the face of the earth. So truth free, adopted to enjoy Jesus, as I just mentioned. We have to ask the question, okay, I, I hear all these truths, Now what? How then shall we live as children of God? How do we take these eternal truths and to actually place them into our daily lives? For if we hear these truths and we leave today and we don't ask the question, okay, now what? How do I live? I know that I'm blessed more than anyone on the face of the earth if I am in Christ. I know that the covenant Keeper Christ died for my sins, took, absorbed the full wrath of God. What does that mean for me? Besides enjoying Jesus, well, I have some application points. The first one, enjoying Jesus through the rhythms of life. Rhythm means a regular repeated pattern of movement. You and I live in a real world with real day-to-day problems, struggles. We work in the workforce. We're home with our children. There's temptations. There's struggles. 
to enjoy Jesus every day. Enjoying Jesus through the mundane things of life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Because now we are in Christ, we can enjoy God. We can enjoy Jesus through the mundane, through the rhythms of life. Working, parenting, family life, eating, Walking, leisure, all these things God has created for our enjoyment. If we are now in Christ, we can walk with Him, enjoy Him in absolutely every phase and season of life under the sun. As I quoted Jonathan Edwards earlier, imagine yourself walking along the shore on a hot summer day, feeling the cool ocean breeze on your skin sure you know what I'm talking about. Feeling the drops of water touch your feet and ankles as you're walking along the ocean. You know the ocean is there, and you want to dive into that ocean because it's so hot out. One day we will be able to jump into that ocean, into all eternity, where we will have, as Jonathan Edwards says, these are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. When we walk into eternity, we will be in the full presence of Yahweh. We will be in the full presence of Jesus. We will bow. And if you're in Christ, God sees Jesus, his perfect life, death, and resurrection. I want you to know that when God looks at you, if you're in Christ, he sees Jesus. It's as if that you have never sinned, even though you have, Christian. He sees Jesus' perfect perfection. May that encourage you. Enjoying Jesus together. This is what we're doing now. Romans 12.10 Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So enjoying Jesus together. What does that look like? Well, we're enjoying Jesus together right now as we're, as we just sang earlier, as we're listening to the Word of God preached and proclaimed. We have care groups. If you're not a part of a care group, which is our small groups, a wonderful way. I'm excited, uh, this Tuesday. I know our care group is going bowling. I'm excited for that. But that's a tangible way to enjoy Jesus together as brothers and sisters in Christ where we can come together and we can enjoy Jesus. Uh, Hanging out, you know, just getting together and hanging out. Having, talking about Jesus with one another. When we get together uh, in our homes, when we're eating our meals, talking about what Jesus has done. And you know that it's not that what we have done, our, our enjoyment of Jesus doesn't come from what we have done, but what Jesus has done. And all that he is... And all that he has done for us. Next one. Enjoying Jesus through blessings. James 1.17 Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly light. Who does not change like shifting shadows. So we have blessings. We are blessed more than anyone on the face of the earth. If we are in Christ. But there's these blessings that God gives to us. Even though we are saved, he continues to give us a home to live in, love, a family, money, safety. He continues to give us these wonderful blessings that we can live and to be a part of. Be on your guard. There is a false doctrine out there that proclaims God wants your best life now. If you're saved... God will give you a new car, a new home, a nice, cushy life. I want to speak very clearly. God gives us blessings. It's his love and compassion to do so. But may we never treasure those blessings more than Jesus himself. To know that when we eat, when we sit down and we eat a meal that God has provided for us in our homes, we thank God, God, this meal comes from you. You gave it to me. You provided food Praise you. We're going to eat this meal. And when we taste the good steak, 
or whatever you're eating, we taste the goodness of God. For it is his goodness to give us good gifts and blessings to live on. Next one, enjoying Jesus through trials and tribulations. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastfulness. And let steadfastfulness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James 1, 2 through 4. This week was one of the toughest weeks that I had in a very long time. And as I was preparing for this message... The enemy within and the enemy without, Satan, uh, the enemy, my own indwelling sin, was trying to rob me and to steal me of my joy in Jesus. And I had a moment of of anger, uh, not against anyone, but I was venting towards God and frustrated because of all the things that had been happening in my life. And in that moment, God reminded me an unshakable truth. And I want you to know this unshakable truth. Because there's going to be moments when we do not enjoy Jesus as we should. When we don't delight in Him as we should. And I want you to know this. Note this and write it down. When we have seasons in our life when we don't enjoy Jesus, He enjoys us. He can't stop thinking about us. And in fact, it says, Psalms 139, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Know this, God cannot get you out of his mind. Even when we have times when our thoughts drift from God and what he has done for us, God loves his children. And he's thinking about you all the time. His love for you is unconditional. He loves you so much. Not only does he love you, he enjoys you and he delights in you so very much. There is a season in my life when I was 21 years of age. I was diagnosed with Lyme disease. And I know that some of you have been also with suffering, pain, chronic pain, mental illnesses, things that are out of your control. As part of living in the fallen world, we have suffering. And I want you to know that it is possible, very much possible, to enjoy Jesus in the trials and tribulations that we, we face. I would wait, there was nights when I would wake up in so much pain, my joints were physically in so much pain, I would cry and I would want the end of my life to happen because it was just very, very difficult. In the dark seasons of our soul, God reaches down and He is still there and He still loves you so much. And this truth, Romans eight twenty eight, was very dear to me in this time of my life of learning how to enjoy Jesus through the pain and the suffering and the darkness. It was a very difficult time in my life to learn. For it lasted around a year of the pain. But I still have that pain today as I walk. As a reminder to God's nearness and His faithfulness. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Amen. And during that time, I read a book, and I would love to recommend All Things for Good by Thomas Watson. And he talks about even in our good times and our bad times, in the suffering and the pain, he is working all things for our good, which is to conform us to be more like Jesus. There's times in your life, there's seasons in your life that you go through that are very difficult, very oppressive, very hard. God ordained those moments, the darkness in your life, to reveal the light of who He is and how He shines forth in you. And He builds character in you. He helps you to be stronger in Christ, not to rely on your own strength. For I can't even walk unless God ordains it. 
So no, if you're struggling with pain, whatever may it be, know this, brother and sister. Jesus wants to know that he loves you and he's got you by the palm of his hand. And he's never going to let go and he's never going to stop thinking about you. He's never going to stop working all things for your good and delight for one day. Brothers and sisters, one day when we walk into the ocean of God's delight, into the ocean of heaven, when we meet Jesus face to face, it'll all be over and it'll all be worth it. Because all was it was meant to point us to Jesus. Enjoy and next one is enjoying Jesus through serving. Psalms one hundred verse two. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And then Titus two fourteen. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Enjoying Jesus through serving. What a beauty. Serving is the outflow of a heart that has so much delight in Jesus and all that he's done that we, by nature, because of what he's done, we serve him with a heart of delight and gratitude. Not because we, I need to go serve him, but it's more of, I just want to serve him because I love him because I know how much he loves me. And I want to serve my brothers and sisters. I want to serve my neighbors. Because if this gospel is true, if Jesus took all my sin and I am completely free, completely in Christ, and there is no condemnation, no one can condemn me anymore, I want to serve. I'm here to serve you guys. You're here to serve one another. You're here to love one another, to lay our lives down together. As a church, we've been going through a very difficult season. But God is with us, and he is moving us in ways that are exciting, that I'm excited about. So may we serve one another with a glad heart, because we're free. Enjoying The next one is enjoying Jesus fights sin. I love this one. Enjoying Jesus fights sin. You, uh, Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. C.S. Lewis once said this. Listen, O Christian. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis. May Jesus be so sweet and so enjoyable. May Jesus be so sweet and so enjoyable that we would have so much delight in who he is and what he's done that sin would no longer look like the gain of pleasure, but the loss of pleasure. That when we sin, it's a losing the pleasure, not gaining pleasure. I want to gain my pleasure. I want to gain my delight. I want to be in Jesus. I want to know him. I want to dive into his word. I want to see these beautiful truths that change my heart. I want to delight in him as we walk together as a church, as we move forward together, as we fight sin together. This is how we fight sin. We take the sword of God's word, his truth, and we cut the head of sin off. We have to get violent, as John Piper once said. We have to get violent with sin. We can't just go around walking where there's sin at. We need to get violent. We need to attack it. We need to get serious about fighting the inward battle of our own souls. Our very life is at stake. And how do I do that? But to enjoy Jesus more and more as my life progresses. 
Know that He enjoys you even when we fall. Even when we delight in sin more than we delight in Jesus. His delight in us doesn't change. Our condemnation is not released. We're no longer condemned. That's a fact. That happened. It'll never be taken away. Hold on to that truth. All the cursings fell upon Jesus. Know this. Know this. Know this. Jesus loves you. Know it so much. It'll change the way you walk as a Christian. It'll change the way you live your life and to serve others and to fight sin. And we have to do it together. We can't do this alone. We have to fight sin together. Keep each other accountable. I know I said enjoying Jesus fight sin is, is one, I really like that one, but the, I'm going to end with enjoying Jesus because he is Jesus. This is my absolute favorite. Luke 24, 30, 32 says this. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave to them and their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? If you're here today and you are a Christian, I hope you're encouraged. Get alone with Jesus. Get in his word. Delight in his promises. Enjoy him because he is Jesus. For enjoying Jesus is the overflow of a heart. that's so thankful for what he has done. All that Jesus is and all that he's done. Our righteousness as a Christian is based on Jesus. Not us. Not us. On Jesus. I'm going to close with this scripture before the worship, when the worship team comes up. You guys can come on up. Isaiah 55, 11. Says this. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow. And sighing, sighing shall flee away. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are our Father, our Abba. Lord, I pray that these words of truth will echo in our hearts, Lord. I pray that I was faithful to proclaim your truth. Lord, I pray that we would take great delight in you. That we would enjoy you, even in those times when we don't enjoy you, but you enjoy us, Lord. When we sin, when we fall short of your glory, may we look to you. May we look to the risen one who is at the right hand of you, Father. Right now, as I speak, Jesus is reigning and ruling. You have saved us out of this house of slavery. You have redeemed us from the curse of the law by sending your son to be cursed. The full weight of your wrath fell on Christ. The sinless Savior. What a God. What a Savior. Lord, I am inadequate. I am only a man. I am a weak man and desperate for you and for you to work. And I pray that our hearts will be enlightened. 
and that we would enjoy Jesus more as a church as the days and years come upon us. As those dark seasons of the soul will come, those trials and tribulations will come upon us. Maybe when we walk out of here, there'll be a phone call or something will happen. Father, may we enjoy you. We can't do that unless you create that enjoyment in our hearts. I pray that if there's anyone here does not know you, that they would repent and turn to you and enjoy you forevermore. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here, that are in Christ, that struggle with enjoying you, delighting in you as their father, having the full inheritance that you have given us. And one day we'll walk into heaven forever. Our enjoyment is only beginning in you, Lord. For all eternity, we will enjoy you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and more and more and more and more for all eternity. For it will never end. Our enjoyment of you will never end. It will only increase as the millions of trillions of years go on. We praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. The Lord, if you are in Christ, He sends His blessings on you. So we're going to go with these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace, church.